and we'll be reading verses 13 through 20. This is the well-known passage to us where we find Peter confessing Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. I just want to pause before we read it and just say thank you for being here today and thank you for your ministry. Thank you for the way that you've loved on Christy. We just love you, Christy, and we're thankful that you're here today. Let's, uh, let's just, those who are around her, just give her a big hug this morning. Uh, church, you all have ministered to her and her family this week. This room was full yesterday, and we are thankful that you all served in the way that you did to help this family walk through such a very, very difficult time in their life. And uh, all of the people from the community who are here, you stepped up and you served and you let them know that this is the house of God and that this is a wonderful, loving, caring church. And we're going to make it through this thing. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. And we're together as God's family. We're going to walk, walk together and we're going to make it through this thing. Okay? Because that song that we just sang gives us the promise of everlasting life. It says that Jesus, our sins were nailed to the cross, that he took those to the grave, and on the third day he rose from the grave and ascended to be with God. And we know that's the good news. And that's the hope that we have. We can share the reason for the hope that we have when we confess Jesus is Lord. So as we bear that in mind, we come to the word of God today, starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the, re to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do my people, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus says in verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me today? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. We who are sinners saved by grace. And we thank you that you have led us to this place this morning that we can be lifted up, especially in the light of the, this past week that we have had in losing one of our dear, dear loved members, Wilton Ford. Bless Christy, bless his family, uphold them, surround them with your love, wrap your arms around them and sustain them in the hours and days that lie ahead. And there are others in our congregation who know exactly what, what that 
burden is light. And we are grateful that we can be part of a body that when some of us are doing pretty good, we can reach out and, and help the others who are facing storms in life and struggles. Speaking of storms, God, we pray for the people of Houston and those in the surrounding areas of the Gulf Coast. And we don't know what all the reports are right now. Some we have seen, and there's more to come with this, Lord. We just ask that you would offer your protection. You are the same God who controls the storms, the winds, and we, we believe that. And even though we don't understand why things happen in the way that we do, we know that your Holy Spirit is at work, and we know that through the church and through the love that you have and the goodness that you've stored up in people, that we will see good come out of all of this. And we know that our job here at, 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 at this faraway place is to pray and then seek how we might help through our partnerships that span across this country and through the globe. And Father, for those in our congregation who are uh, out there doing the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month work in the schools and in their workplaces and in their neighborhoods and in the hospitals, we pray. And we finally, God, lift up our college students who have gone back to campus or those who are getting ready to go and their families, uh, some of whom now are uh, looking at an empty nest. They have done their job and now they have sent off those young ones and now they are praying and uh, seeking, all right, well, what's that new normal going to be like? Help, help them, God, in their new normal. Find that new normal. Now bless the reading and the hearing and the study of your word today. May it equip us and strengthen us as we go out from here today in Jesus' name. So Jesus is ready to face Jerusalem. If you study this passage and look on to verse 21, you'll see that he knows that he is on the journey to the cross. And so he takes his disciples to a place a little farther away than where they have been, away from the area of Galilee. So they go up about 20 miles north of the Sea of Galilee to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And... I think that if you look at what he's trying to do, that he was looking to get them away from the crowds and away from the people who were perhaps seeking after Jesus and uh, needed to do some teaching with his disciples. I believe that he also took them to this city because the past history was one that, if you look at the landscape, had a, a history of paganism. There were many, many temples to pagan gods there in the area of Caesarea Philippi. In fact, it, it, it was known for the home of the Greek god of nature, Pan, P-A-N, Pan. And there was a grand temple there uh, as well. And then there was also a tremendous history of, of Roman oppression there, uh, of a, sta- a big uh, temple for Caesar, so Jesus takes his disciples not only to a farther, a far away place to be with them, but also a place that in the background is paganism and Roman oppression. And it is there that he questions the disciples and he says, 
who, who do people say I am? What are they saying? It would be like us going out into the community here and saying, folks, um, who's Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You get all kinds of responses. Good teacher, good person, Lord, Messiah. It would be like us going out and saying, what's Huguenot Road Baptist Church to you? We hope we'd get a lot of good responses, right? Jesus says, what are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? And then they responded, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say you're Elijah, and others even say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So he's kind of looking at the larger circle in the backdrop of all of this, and then he says, now who do you say I am? And he asks that question, and that's a question that each of us has to, each of us, uh, we, we need to wrestle with that. Because every single one of us has to answer to God and has an appointment with God and needs to deal with that question. Who, who do we say? Who is Jesus to us? Right? And, and then any one of those disciples could have stepped up and responded, but Peter happened to respond first, and he, and he said, you are the Messiah, the Christ. Messiah is the word for anointed one. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, and then Jesus, he, he responds, and he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Meaning, Simon, Peter, he didn't just make that up. He didn't do it on his own human volition, on his own power. Jesus acknowledges that this was the work of God. He says, this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And what I believe Jesus is saying there is that every single one of us is created in the image of God. Every single one of us, if you study scripture, has a longing to know our creator. Every, God has placed heaven within each of our spirits, the desire to know our creator. Eternity is welled up inside of us. And we have to simply respond to that leadership of the Holy Spirit. If each one of us is created in the, image of, in, a, in the image of God to be God's child, then we already have a sense of responding to him. We just have to make that decision when we hear that good news. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, this was a work of God. My Father in heaven allowed you to recognize me in this way. And then he, he goes on and he, he says... You are Peter, You're, you are a stone, and on this rock I'll build my church. So Jesus is, have, there's a play on words here. Uh, Peter is not the foundation of the church. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He's the chief cornerstone, as Peter writes later in 1 Peter 2.7, picking up on Psalm 118. And then Jesus is saying, Peter, you, you are the, the first stone on, the, on which the church is built. And you and I are living stones. You and I have that same responsibility as being part of the church, building the church. It's, and then the, the, the word I wanted to point out to you, in, if you're taking notes, is where in verse 18 Jesus says, I will build my church. 
He didn't say, I'll build your church. He said, I'll build my church. So it's very clear whose church it is. It's the church of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And we are simply sinful people saved by grace who are the living stones on which the church continues to be built. Isn't that really neat to understand that? It's the Lord's church. We're just part of it. We're stewards of it. We are imperfect people. You know, just after this happened, uh, uh, Jesus had to rebuke Peter. Satan, get, by, get behind me, Satan. You remember that? And then we also know that Peter denied him three times. But he reconciled and he brought back Peter into the right following of Christ by grace. And it's an example to all of us, imperfect people, sinful people saved by grace who are the living stones who make up the church. And the good news, secondly, is that death and despair will not overcome it. We just sang that. Amen? Philip, it's really neat how you've selected that song today, but death and despair will not overcome it. There are some churches who die, but the reason they die is because the people lose God's vision. People take their eyes off of Jesus and the church can get closed in and the doors shut and the uh, churches often uh, don't pay attention to what's going on in the community. And uh, things that tear up churches are like internal conflict and turmoil and sin that gets all swept up in there. Um, we, we have to understand that it's Jesus' church and he desires for it to live and death and despair will not overcome it. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith, the chief cornerstone, we will live, we will thrive, we will survive, we will succeed as a church. We have to have God's vision. There's a lot of things that go into that, but we know that the promise is death and despair will not overcome the church. The church is here to stay, and I'm thankful to be a part of it. There's no better time than the now to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. The world is hurting. The world needs good news. The world needs hope. The world needs to see what examples, what an example is of how to love God and love neighbor and to respect every man, woman, and child no matter what background, no matter what their creed, what their language. That's our call. Death and despair will not overcome that. We can't, we will not allow that to happen. God's desire is for the church to grow and multiply. The, the um, gates were symbolic of, the gates of Hades here, symbolic of the authority uh, in the city. The city gates where decisions were made, where government rested. And Jesus is saying here, the, the, uh, the gates of evil, the establishment of evil will not overcome my church. And then he talks about keys. I think that keys help us to understand authority and responsibility that we've been given. I, hope I, have, I think I have time to mention this little story. I'll never forget when I was a junior in high school, I was working at Kroger. And I had been driving the hand-me-down 62 Ford Falcon for my stepsister, right? Uh, in line six, three speed on the column, no heat, right? Right, bias to ply tires and all that stuff, whatever those things. And, you know, I didn't think that it was the coolest ride in town. I would, I wish I had it back now. <laughs> right? So, my parents, uh, they had, my mom and stepdad had a friend 
who had a, a son that went to a different high school, and they had gotten him a new car, and they were going to uh, sell his 1976 Chevy Vega. And I saw it out in front of their workplace with a for sale sign on it when I was driving by. And I went in and I talked to Mr. Cannon, was his name, and I asked him in his office there if um, he had a buyer yet. And he said no. And I said, well, I'd like to buy the car. And now, you know, you're not supposed to sign a contract with somebody under 18, but he, he said, well, I'll um, be happy to work out payments. I paid $1,000 for the car, and I was going to pay $100 a month from my work at Kroger. The bad thing was I didn't ask for permission from my parents. <laughs> and before I got home, Mr. Cannon had called talking about the car, and they had no idea that I had negotiated this deal, and I had gotten hot water big time. Who's going to pay for the insurance? Who's going to pay for the blah, 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 right? All that stuff. So then I don't know how long. They let me sweat for a while. And then I came home from school one day. Maybe it was within the week. And the Burgundy 76 Vega was in our driveway. What? And I walked in the house, and my stepfather, we didn't get along too good, gave me the keys. Disobedient teenager, not listening, doing what I wanted to do, but yet he worked it out, and I still had to pay for the car and all that stuff, but he gave me the keys. And to me, it just helps me understand that though I am yet a sinner, Christ died for me, and that we have been given the keys to the kingdom, to open doors to other people that they might know who Jesus is. See, we are responsible. We've given responsibility with the keys, like Peter. Responsibility to be intentional, not only to open, but to keep open the doors of the church and to keep opening the doors to the kingdom of people. We must never grow weary or complacent and let the doors just close, shut, and latch. We must be responsible with the good news that we've been given. We must be responsible and steward the church, just like you heard Amanda read, that we've all been gifts, given gifts, and we've all part of the body of Christ. There are places for every single one of us to serve in this place that the church would thrive. We've got the best news in the world. Our responsibility is to share it, that doors will be opened, and that the people we know and love will see us again on the other side. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray.